Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. I think by my count, there's about 22 or so here. It's not even a preacher count. I'm not, I'm not used to that, so there's no telling what it will be in the future. But about 22 people here, including a couple of people I haven't, haven't seen in a while, so I'm really glad to see everybody. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming together on Sunday morning to sing praises to God and to dwell on some thoughts from his word. So I appreciate everybody being here and those who are going to be watching uh, on the video here later. Thanks to Phil for the reading. I'm going to talk about materialism. Nice, big, fancy word, materialism. And I, you see I've put on the screen here priorities because that's really what it's going to be about. So when you see as we talk about materialism, I want you to be thinking about priorities. What are our priorities? And so what we looked at a moment ago, Phil read, was from Matthew 6, 24, where Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is an old word, meaning wealth or riches. And by making it personified, you know, turning a word into something living and real, it can be thought of as a God of riches. We have to think about priorities. If you've got two masters and they both give you two directives, you've got two bosses and you've got two sets of instructions you're going to have to figure out who comes first who comes first because you can't put them both at the same level you've got to decide who you're going to follow from a master perspective as Jesus puts it who are you going to serve who are you going to serve if you're a member of God's family you face a choice each day again of priorities you face a choice every day you can live for God or you can live for yourself. My apologies, but I'm going to be a broken record perhaps many, many Sundays because we've got to drive that point home in our way of thinking. You cannot live for yourself and live for God at the same time. We've got to make a choice. You've got to have our, your priorities set because you're either going to live for God or you're going to live for self. So what does that mean? What does it mean in terms of living for God or living for ourselves? How does that relate to the idea here of sin? Falling short of what God wants. Well, one way of looking at sin involves looking at the idea of love that is out of order. Sin often can be thought of as occurring, happening, when things that we love are in the wrong priority, the wrong order. For example, you can love God, you can love other people, and you can love things. I'm going to suggest to you that sin happens when that's not in the proper order. It's not wrong to love a friend. It's not wrong to love a husband or a wife. It is wrong when you love that friend or you love a husband or you love a wife more than God. You can't love your husband or wife more than you love God. If a husband or wife would tell you that let's don't, do this, such as worshiping God or uh, doing things that God would want, then your choice is, do I love my spouse more than I love God? If a friend says, let's go and do, engage in some activity, do some things that God would not want you to do, your choice is either to love the friend and do these things with the friend or to love God. In the third place, uh, whoops, let me back up, you also have things. It's not wrong to love a television set. 
especially if there's a, a, a sporting event on the TV set, perhaps. I mean, basketball's in season, some people like football, but it's wrong if you love a thing more than a person. If you are in such love with a coat that you keep the coat or the jacket while you got a friend who's cold, that's out of order. It's one thing to like a nice shiny coat or a warm coat. It's another to like it more than a brother or sister or simply someone you meet who's cold and could use the coat a lot more than I could. It's one thing to love a jacket more than you love God or more than you love... You see what I mean by this? I mean, look at the list up here, right? It's okay to love some things as long as you don't love them more than other people. It's okay to love people as long as you don't love them more than you love God. Most of the times when we sin, when we do things God does not want, it's because those are out of whack. Those are out of whack. So we need our priorities correct. It's one thing to love the fact that you maybe have five, 10, 20 dollars in your pocket, right? It's a blessing to have five, 10, 20 dollars in your pocket. It's not proper to love and want to hold on to that money more than what God may need or what someone else may need, priorities. When we were talking about the statement Jesus made, no one can serve two masters. You can either serve God or yourself. There are no other options. That's it. Every single morning when we wake up, we've got to choose whether we're going to live for ourselves or live for God. And that will impact the decisions that we make each and every day. When I'm faced with a choice, is this going to benefit me or is this something that God would want me to do? Live for myself or live for God? I mean, everything we see in the here and now is not going to be here forever. So if I make a choice that would benefit me today, make me feel good today, but it's temporary, it's not what God would want, I'm making a really bad choice, a really bad choice. When you think about, again, materialism, priorities, anytime you see this word materialism on this, this screen, think of priorities, I want to think about 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Here, Paul telling Timothy, a young man, to, to talk to other people. He says, having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But notice this next statement. Those who desire to be rich, those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Notice he doesn't condemn people who are rich. He doesn't condemn richness in and of itself. It's a desire to be rich that often leads people astray. If I desire to be rich, then I may end up doing whatever I need to do to get more. And if that requires stepping on somebody, oh well, I guess you shouldn't have been in my way if I'm trying to get rich. Sometimes people simply have money fall out of the sky on their head. It hasn't happened to me yet, but sometimes it does. The sky actually rains money. That's not wrong depending on what you do with it and what it does to you. In Hebrews 13, 15, the writer of Hebrews says, let your conduct be without covetousness, 
again, another big fancy word, covetousness, and be content with such things that you have. When you have this word covet, it's the idea of wanting things someone else has. It's very similar, essentially the same word, as the idea of lust. Lust is often thought of from an immoral perspective, interactions between people that are immoral, physically wrong, but it's the idea of wanting something, right? Wanting something. And so you need to live, you need to make your choices without wanting something that is somebody else's. Coveting, lusting for the big car, the, the big house, whatever it may be, right? If you're choosing in your conduct, in your actions and in your thoughts to want things other people have, then we are not being content with the things that we have. It's perfectly fine to want to improve your circumstances, but not at the expense of desiring and wanting such that you might even take things that belong to someone else. Psalms 49, verse six and 10. Psalm 49, verses six and 10. They that trust in their wealth boast in themselves. You see this a lot of times with people who are so rich they can't possibly imagine how much money they actually have. I mean, I don't know how many billionaires walk the earth these days, but it's a lot. And so typically someone that's got more money than they can possibly imagine talks a lot about themselves. They boast in themselves. Look at what I did. Look at what I have done. And it's very, very wrong. When talking about this, it's talking about God. For he, God, sees wise men die. Together the fool and the brutish ones perish and leave their riches to others. You can't take it with you. All this money, all these things that some people pursue, that some people try to grab after, one of these days, each and every one of us is going to die. And then whose will these things be? going to be yours. It'll be left to somebody else. So you spend all your time getting a pile of money so high you can't see the top and then you choke and die on that fancy thing you were eating and that big pile of money or whatever it is is somebody else's at that point. Matthew 19 verse 23. I'm just going to have a series of passages. We're just going to talk about it a little bit here this morning. Matthew 19 23 then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you that a rich man will with great difficulty enter the kingdom of heaven. It's very tough. It's very difficult for someone who is very, very rich to be someone who's going to follow after God because of what we've just been reading. You're choosing two masters and to get very, very, very rich, you're often serving the riches of the world. Mammon, it was called. It's very, very tough to have a lot of money and to keep your mind focused, remembering those priorities, God, others, and things. Because when a rich person has so much of things, that'll tend to become the focus, a focus on things rather than a focus on others. Or perhaps if the person is a philanthropist, right? They share their money with others. They may think a lot about other people, but they don't think about God, God, others, and things. It's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not impossible, but it's hard, but it's hard. 
So if I am focusing on trying to become rich, 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 and get things, 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 I may be making things difficult for me in the longer term of being someone that follows after God. Here in Matthew 13, Jesus is explaining the parable of the seeds, the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils. It's called these different things. And he's talking about seed that's cast out and some of the seed falls in among thorns. And so weeds, it, it doesn't have much of an opportunity to grow because it's crowded out by in my, my yard, it's dandelions. You just can't seem to get rid of those things. They're nice and yellow and then they're everywhere, right? There's no chance for good stuff to grow because you've got weeds. You can think of thistles, nice purple flower. I wouldn't go pick it because it's really got a lot of like, nasty thorns on it. So what happens when you have seed that's thrown in among the thorns? The explanation for what he's talking about with this seed that's growing among places where there are thorns, he says, is this. If someone who hears the word, he hears the message of God, what God wants us to become, and the anxiety of the world, the cares of the world, the worries of today, the worries of tomorrow, and the deceit of riches. The false promise that riches is going to make everything better. The false promise that money and things are what you really want choke the word and he or she becomes unfruitful. When we are seeking things, when the deceit of things, riches, or even perhaps the deceit of other people, if only I had a beautiful girlfriend or a beautiful wife or a handsome husband, or a successful husband. If only I had these things, then I'd be where I want to be. And that's false. That's deceitful. It leads you astray. It chokes out the word of God, which says, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, a right relationship with God. And then these things that you may want will be given to you. Priorities, God, others, and things. It's a constant theme throughout what God tells us. Don't get your priorities out of whack. After saying blessed or happy in Luke's version of the Beatitudes, we talked about those last week from Matthew, but over in Luke he says, But woe to you who are rich, you have received your reward. If you're rich in the here and now, you're very likely to not be thinking yourself very rich in the hereafter. When you think about the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man had all sorts of things. The rich people in Roman times, in the times of the New Testament, would often eat on the tongues of peacocks. I'd, rather, I'd much rather have a burger or something. Fried peacock tongues, but that was the fancy thing. Right? A fancy thing. They had the luxuries, the delicacies. They had their reward now. And when the rich man died, he woke up in a very unpleasant place. Lazarus didn't have anything now, but he woke up being comforted by Abraham. Priorities. God, people, things. God, people, things. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 Charge the rich in this world that they not be high-minded or trust in uncertain riches, 
Again, people who are rich in the here and now often think of themselves as better than other people. Why? Because somehow or other, I have done all these great things by myself. I'm the big shot. I'm the one who needs to be looked up to. I'm the important one here. And so Paul tells Timothy, make sure rich people who may be among you and brothers and sisters, some may be rich, do not be high-minded or trust in uncertain riches. You ever heard the phrase here today and gone tomorrow, right? Whoops, whoops. I may be rich today and not tomorrow. Don't trust it. Don't place your trust in things. Don't really place your trust in other people either. The only place to put your trust that possibly is going to stay constant is that pop card, God. He continues, he says, do not trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God who offers to us richly all things to enjoy. They that do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to share and to be generous. If you happen to be blessed with a lot of things, share. Make sure your heart is not on the things that you've got, but be generous toward God and certainly be generous to look after brothers and sisters, people that need help. Laying up for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. You know, I'm not sure exactly what eternity is really going to be like. As long as God's happy with me and God looks at me and says, well done, I don't really care what the future holds, whatever the specifics are going to be. But one thing I do know, the thing that happens when we first stand before God is not going to be, show me how much money you had in the bank. God is not going to care, and I'm not going to call the names of rich people. There's lots of rich people in the country. Any of these rich people whose names you may know, he's not going to care how much money they died with. But what Paul tells Timothy is, he's going to care a lot more about what you did with it to help people and what you did with it to serve God. That's the kind of, if you will, bank statement uh, money statement that he's really going to be looking at is what did you do with what I gave you? You know, there's a parable of the talents where this ruler goes away for a long time and he gave different amounts of money to his servants and said, use it. The only one he was mad at was the one that buried it in the ground and hid it. He wasn't mad at the person that had generated a little bit or somebody that had generated more. The person that he's upset with that he takes vengeance on is the one that didn't use what he was given. So what have I been given? What have you been given? Some people are given more than others. Why? I don't know. Some people are, but the question is, what am I doing with what I have? Every single one of us has some sort of talent, some sort of ability to do what we can to help people and to serve God. At the very least, when we meet people, we can say, God sure made a beautiful day today, right? You can do it today. Whoever you run into, I want to challenge you today to talk about the beautiful day God made. That's at the very least something we can do. We should not, however, be trusting in riches or trusting in other people. In Revelation chapter 3, 
Jesus is speaking in these verses to a church in Laodicea who had thought that they were sitting fine. They were sitting pretty. They had everything made. And he says to them, because you say, I am rich, I am increased with goods and have need of nothing, because you say that and you don't even realize that you are in fact wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They thought they had it made. Laodicea was famous for fancy clothes that they made there. Maybe they were dressed out fine. Their clothes shined in the sunlight, maybe. But in reality, Jesus says to them, you guys have nothing. You've got nothing. So he says, I really advise you, I counsel you to buy from me gold purified by fire so that you may be rich. He's not really selling them a gold coin, but what Jesus is offering them is the only way to truly be rich. Rich in love toward God and rich in love toward our neighbors. Having a lot of things stuck in your pocket is not going to mean that you're rich. Not at all. Luke 12. And I will tell you, this is by far, to me, the passage of the, of the Bible that scares me the most. Uh, I, I don't like reading this passage because I'm so terribly afraid that this is going to turn out to be me. What, what am I afraid of? What worries me? What bothers me and challenges me to think every day, am I going to live for myself or am I going to live for God? It's this. Look what Jesus says in Luke 12, 16 through 21. He, Jesus, spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man, notice, he's already rich. The parable starts out with him being a rich man. And so his ground, right, his field brought forth plentifully. He's rich and everything grew. I don't know whether it was soybeans or what, right? But whatever it is he's sowing, you know, whether it's, you know, grain, wheat, barley, whatever it may be, is whoosh. It just is puffing up like near magic, perhaps. It brought forth plentifully. He thought within himself, what shall I do with all of this? What shall I do? Because I have no room in which to store my fruits. What's grown out here? You notice the question he never asked? Who can I give a lot of this to? Who can I share it with? What can I do? I can't even store it all. I know what I'm going to do. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. You know, today it would be a big grain silo, I guess. I'm going to tear that thing down. I'm going to build one that's twice as wide. A big, huge, almost missile-looking thing out on the plains. I'm going to store it all because I've got it. God alive. I will store my fruits and goods there. How would this parable have looked if he had said, what will I do with my stuff? I know. I will find people in need and I will share what I have been blessed with. That's not what he said. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. In other words, kick back. Eat, drink, and be merry. Woohoo, I've got it made. And then God says some of the scariest words in the entire Bible to me at this point. God said to him, fool. That's the last thing I ever want God to look at me and think. Eugene, you're just plain stupid. 
how could you be so dumb? But this man is a fool. This man is a fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will these things be? You're going to die. And all this stuff that you've accumulated is going to someone else. How's that benefiting you now? And then look what he says. So is he who lays up treasure toward, for himself and is not rich toward God. This is someone whose priorities are all focused on that third level of things to the certain exclusion of God and the apparent exclusion of other people. That scares me because every time we have some benefit that comes to us, the first temptation is to think of what I can do with it. What will I do with this that's come my way? And we've got to fight that. We've got to fight it each and every day and think, what can I do with this to help people? What can I do with this to do some good for God? Um, I've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of different places, a lot of continents, a lot of places in mission fields where it shames me to see how little people have. Um, in Malawi, in Africa, little kids saw me and they were shouting out a word. I think it was Mizuzu. I said, hey, what? what are they saying? They're all just Mizuzu, pointing their fingers at me. I thought, is it bald man? Is that what they're saying out loud? No, that wasn't it. They have one word over there for white man. It's the same word they use for rich man. They don't have two words. Same word. And so every time I have the opportunity to visit that small, poor country in Africa, I come back a very different person because I know how much I need to improve of making sure my priorities are in the right place. And that these people that are so poor, it's the third poorest country on the face of the earth, get together on Sunday mornings and they sing songs to God about how blessed they are. And they are blessed because their priorities are in the right place. God, others, and things. God, others, and things. So that's why I keep talking about it because I know I need to hear it. I think I said many of my sermons, one of the ways I decide what to talk about is what do I need to hear. If I if run out of ideas, it'll be because somehow or other I finally got a few things right. I don't expect that will happen anytime soon. He then says also in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, maybe it's where stock markets collapse. Maybe it's where things get devalued. I don't know what it is. It may change over time. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth, period. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. If my heart is focused on God, my heart is not focused on others. It's okay, again, to love others, not if I'm displacing God by loving other people. You certainly don't want to love things if your heart's not focused on other people, if it's not already focused on God. Acts 5, 1 through 4. Here we read a story of two people that uh, had some property and sold it and gave some to the church, but look what they did. Look what they did. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. 
And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and only brought a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why is your heart, Satan fills your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back to yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Sometimes people look and they say, well, we shouldn't, we should give every single nickel that you might have for the Lord's work. That's really not the problem here. The problem is faking it, pretending, lying about it. And we'll see that here in a minute. What was the problem here? What was really not the problem here? The problem is that they sold something. They put some in their pocket. I mean, if you had a house and you happened to sell it, it's perfectly fine to give a big piece of that to God and to help people and to do things with it. And keep some for yourself. God doesn't want you to give every single penny you might have and then need to live off of what other people are trying to give you. But if you bring it and you say, yeah, look what I did. Look what I did. You're looking for a reward in the here and now. You're looking for everybody patting you on the back. Then we see that with Sapphira, who comes in in just a minute. She comes in and says, yes, that was what we sold it for. They lied about it. The problem is not riches. The problem is what riches may do to your heart. And it had affected Ananias right here. And it affected Sapphira in the next few verses. Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3, talking to the Thessalonians, said, For even while we were with you, we commanded this to you. If anyone does not desire to work, neither let him eat. Do you notice how it's phrased? It doesn't say if anyone's not working, don't let him eat. If anyone does not desire to work. I've met very few people that don't want to be doing something. I've met a lot of people who are having trouble at the moment. Having trouble at the moment. That was me a couple of years ago. I was out of work for a while. And it was real funny. One thing my wife did not want is for me to kick back and, and try to watch TV all day. Why is that? Because that would be showing I didn't have a desire to try to find some work to do some work to do. So same thing with God. We're here. We need to be working, trying to help other people. We help other people sometimes by having a job so you can earn some money and help people. We help people because we love God. That's the way we go about it. I want you to look now at some statements about this whole idea of priorities and materialism coming from some early Christians. This is not from the Bible, but this just shows that our view of what we're talking about matches what some people much, much closer to the time of the apostles said about the same thing. This is from an individual named Clement who lived in Alexandria about 195 AD. That's over 1800 years ago. He said, it is right to supply need, but it is not well to support laziness. Again, a desire to work. You know, should I have stayed home trying to watch TV? I don't know, Gilligan's Island or some other show from 50 years ago? Or should I have been trying to find something to do so I could help people? I, I, we need a desire to work to try to help people. It's very, very important. Here's something from an individual named Hermas. This is very important to think through this one for a moment. Foremost of all evil desires is the desire after another's wife or husband. Most of where we get ourselves into trouble, where people get into trouble, is having that, right? Coveting looking at other people and having that out of whack. Desiring somebody else's husband more than your own, you could even break down others into a priority list. That's not right, it's out of order. There's also the desire after extravagance, 
many useless dainties. Think of the peacock tongues that were so prevalent among rich people at the time. Dainties and drinks and many other foolish luxuries. For all luxury is foolish and empty to the servants of God. That doesn't mean you have to wear shoes that have needles in them to hurt you all the time. But it's not having a $50,000 pair of shoes or something. It's about having your priorities to where you're focusing on helping people with things. Clement again, wealth when not properly governed is a stronghold of evil. Many because of casting their eyes upon it, upon wealth, will never reach the kingdom of heaven. For they are sick for the things of this world and are living proudly through luxury. He turns it around and says, the best riches is poverty of desires. Remember, if I'm focusing on things more than I'm focusing on others, it's sin. Because I'm not, I don't have my priorities in the right order. If I'm focusing on other people more than God, it's out of whack. Clement, I think, had this quite well. Tertullian, a lawyer, writing in 200 AD, let us not interpret covetousness as consisting merely in the lust or desire of what is somebody else's. You know, most of uh, TV advertisements, if you see them, are showing what other people have. And somebody's like, well, I need to keep up. I need a fancier car because look what somebody else is driving. And you end up desiring it, wanting it, and wanting them not to have it. Or lusting after a person, husband or wife of somebody else. But look what Tertullian says. This is so critical right here. For what even seems ours is another's. Since all things are God's to whom we ourselves belong. Everything that's here, even our own lives, are actually simply God's. Nothing I have is mine. Everything I have is God's. Everything somebody else has is God's. We need to use it for God and use it to help other people. So in general here, conclusion, be content with what we have. Learn to be content in whatever circumstance we are in. Paul says that in the book of Philippians. You cannot serve God in mammon. You cannot be a follower of God while you're seeking riches above and beyond everything else. You can't do it. Those who are rich need to share, to be generous. The last thing you want to be is the rich fool, thinking how you can keep more of whatever God blesses you with. We have a Father who is rich in mercy, and He will forgive if we come to Him. If you look down at the bottom of the page of today's handout, the call of the gospel, the good news, is the same each and every day, each and every week. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, sent by God to live a perfect life, to live and die so that you would not have to pay the price for the sins you have done, the sins I have done. Jesus is that sacrifice that God requires us to change our lives, to quit living for ourselves, and to start living for him. And if you've never done that before, you do it by confessing your belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by deciding in your mind to repent, to change your life from wrong to right, to quit living for yourself and to start living for God. And then he also requires you, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized and is immersed in water 
will raise to walk in newness of life, as Paul said in the book of Romans. Jesus said it. The appeal is simply to do it because that's what he asked you to do. If you're already a member of God's family and yet the priorities of your decisions have been out of whack, you've been perhaps focusing too much on others to the exclusion of God, or more likely focusing on things and not focusing on others and not focusing on God, Jesus calls you back today to repent and put your life back on track. If there's anything that we can do to help, if you need to answer the call of God, please do it right now as we stand and sing.